Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Father, we thank you today as we approach your word. Father, we know that, that your word is, is more than just ink and paper. Your word is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And nothing is hidden from your word, Father. Everything is laid bare in the presence of your word. So we exalt you today, Father. We exalt the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, Master and Lord, who is seated at your right hand. Glory to God. We exalt the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Of, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Reverence the Lord in all of your ways. Reverence him. Yield yourself unto him. Submit yourself unto the Lord and unto the leading of the Spirit. And your paths will be directed your way will be made straight when it looks like there is no way. A way will open. A path will unfold before you. And a victory that you could not imagine and would marvel and astound those around you will suddenly be made real to you. And you'll walk in a path. And you'll walk in a way and in, 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 in a vein of victory. In a measure of victory that will have you insulated, protected, and exalted right at the, in the very presence of sin and defeat, sickness and failure. And you'll rise up with a shout in your voice and leaping, running, praising, exulting and shouting and thanking the Lord, you'll not be concerned with what others say or do because you will have your heart and your mind and your affection attuned to him and he'll take you by the hand and the two of you will walk in places of glory that this world does not know about and you'll enjoy the blessing of God and others will have to say, look at what the Lord has done for them. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Go, oh, glory, 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 glory. My, 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 there's a lot in that. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> glory to God. We exalt you, Father. We exalt you, Holy Ghost, and we exalt the word today. Because we know, Father, that the entrance of your word gives light. We expect light to come. We'll not 
accept no light. We'll not accept absence of light. We're not willing to accept no revelation, no understanding, no deepening of our perception of your ways. We expect to see more. We require to see more, to know more so that we can step more fully into what you have for us so that we can not just be hearers but be doers acting on what we hear and stepping into the new place that you have for us. For we know, Father, that new places require new steps. New places require new faith. New places require greater understanding and a greater willingness to leave the past behind and to reach forward to those things that are in front of us. There's so much out there. There's so much out there. And so those who are of faith are constantly straining, reaching, straining every muscle, reaching ahead, reaching out, willing to pay the price to lay hold of faith, willing to make steps of faith, stepping out over sometimes what appears to be the aching void of nothing, with nothing under our feet but what God said to be true. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for that, Father. We do that today. And that's why we're here. That's why we've come today. We've come to worship, to fellowship with one another, but we've come to hear. You've called us together because you have something to say to us. And so we open our hearts to receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. By and through the Word, and by and through the inward witness and that inward voice on the inside, in any other way that the Spirit of God would choose to speak. Glory to God. We open ourselves up and we say, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens and hears. Glory to God. And we thank you for it, for it Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What do you do when you're in trouble? Anybody ever been in trouble? Anybody ever had something in life hit them and all of a sudden, you know, a few minutes before, everything in, in life made sense and everything was flowers and, and roses and, and just enjoying life and all of a sudden you got hit with some kind of news or some kind of circumstances and just seemed like the bottom fell out from, from underneath you. And now nothing can, seems to make sense and you don't know which way to turn. Well, God tells us what to do in times like this. Amen. And so we went over a few of these things. First of all, we said, uh, what did we say? We said, we said, realize that God is not your adversary. God's for you. Secondly, we said, make sure the, the Bible promises you what you're believing for. Make sure your plan of action is scriptural. Amen. Because if you're a Christian, whenever you get hit with trouble, your, your, your instinct is to, is to say, well, well, well God, 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 help me, help me, help me. Well, what are you standing on? It doesn't do any good just to say, God, help me. If, if you're not going to take, he helps you through the word. And there's, there's a word for you in every situation. You've never faced anything in life that there wasn't a word for you. And I'm not talking about something that somebody gave you. I'm talking about a word in here. 
there's a word for your situation and you need to make sure you know what it is. And if you don't, and if you don't know, then take the time to find out. Amen. So that was the second. The third one was live clean. Be sure you're not practicing a, a sinful lifestyle. We talked about walking in the light. We talked about examining ourselves. We talked about making sure to be quick to forgive, quick to repent, quick to believe God. Amen. Today, and those were three things. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's three in my outline. It's not really important that you outline everything I say and, and have the points in order. It's, it's more important that you hear what the Spirit's saying. And, and I might preach five points and the Holy Ghost might give you two and a half. That's important to you. That's what you need to outline. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So the fourth thing here is absolutely refuse to permit, to permit or to allow any doubt or unbelief concerning the promise of God. You have to make up your mind, I will not allow it. Now, if you've already taken step two, and you know that what you're believing or your plan of action is based on the word of God, then uh, you shouldn't have any doubt about it in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about in your head. You understand that you could have faith in your heart and doubt in your head? You can have doubt just, just firing bullets in your mind. I mean, just like faster than a machine gun. It won't work. It can't work. You don't know what you're doing. It, you, know, you know nobody's ever gotten their answers. And, and just you can have all kind of doubt coming against your mind and have robust faith in your heart, strong faith. So I'm not talking about what's going on in your head. You need to learn to stop listening to what's going on in your head and listen instead to what's going on in your heart that's hooked up with the word of God. What's God saying to you from his word? And he speaks down here on the inside of you. And so that's what I'm talking about. Jesus said, whosoever shall say and shall not doubt in his heart. He didn't say anything about not doubting in the head. He said, don't doubt in your heart. So don't allow or permit any doubt or unbelief concerning the promises of God. I can tell you from experience in my own life that the enemy will try to come to you and try to make what you are believing for seem ridiculous. He'll come against your mind and try to get you to compromise and try to get you to uh, believe that, you've, that, that, that you really can't have fully what you've, what you've asked God for. He'll say, you, you, you've, you've set the bar too high. You've asked too much. You need to, you need to back down a little bit and, and, and take a little more reasonable approach. Don't fall for that. If you know what the Bible says and you're standing on the Bible, don't allow the devil to trick you into compromising what you believe because compromise is doubt. Compromise is doubt. Don't fall for it. Amen. 
Now, there are, there are a lot of ways this comes, this, this type of compromise comes. There, there are many different ways these, these kinds of persuasions uh, work against people, and, and some of them are very common. <clears throat> One of them is when you ask God for something and you're in the middle of a, of a situation and you pray and you lay hold of, of the promises of God and nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to happen. Over a period of time, the enemy, one of the, one of the most common lies that, that he tries to persuade people on and, and get doubt in their heart is, well, maybe it's not God's will for you after all. Now, he's very persuasive. He'll use people. Let me get to that in a minute. Let, let me, let me you, you give you these illustrations first. Go to Mark chapter 5. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. Anybody remember that story? In Mark chapter 5. Now, verse 25 says a certain woman, Mark 5, 25, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, here's the thing I want you to, to pick up on. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if, I only, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She touched his garments and immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, here's my, here's my reasoning. Here's the point I'm wanting to make. It had to have been the will of God for this woman to be healed. We know that because Jesus, because Jesus didn't actually uh, intentionally heal her. He did not uh, decide to heal this woman. It wasn't an action he took. But the Bible says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That was healing power he was anointed with. This woman came up behind him because she had determined something in her own heart. She said, if I can get my hands on his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be made well. That was a statement of faith, but she backed it up by action. Now, when she touched him, the Bible says power flowed out of him into her and, and, and her condition was completely 
healed. Well, that had to be the will of God because it was healing, it was Holy Ghost power that flowed out of him. It was the Spirit of God. That, that healing anointing that he was anointed with comes from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something that Jesus just uh, had because he was God, and we know he was. But you notice he wasn't acting like God here. He felt that power go out of him, and he turned. If he'd been operating as God, he'd have known who it was. He turned around and didn't know who it was. He said, "Somebody's touched me. I, I want. I want to. I want to investigate this." He was led of the Spirit to ask that question because. Other people in the crowd needed to hear her story. Otherwise, there would have been no lesson to the people. He was wanting to teach people around him. So the Spirit of God, no doubt, impressed him to find who this was. He turned around, and it wasn't obvious who. He looked and couldn't see her. And it says that she came back to him and told the whole truth. Well, you know, he was obviously not, not acting in his capacity as God the Son. He was the Son of Man at this time. But my point is, that power that flowed out of him, that had to have been all of God. So it had to be the will of God to heal her. Do you not, do you not think that God was aware of this woman's condition for all of these 12 years? Do you not think God knew how much she had suffered from the condition and from the treatments that she had, had, had received from these different physicians all of this time? The Bible says God is touched with the feelings of our infirmities because God ha is, is love and, and he is full of mercy. He is not untouched by anyone's situation. He, he, he is aware of what people go through. Now, that's, that's more than we can, can really comprehend. But that's because God is God. But my point is, it was the will of God all of these 12 years that she be healed. See, some people will say, well, you know, I've done everything. I've done everything I know to do. I've adjusted my diet, I exercise, I've taken the medications, I've been treated by the best doctors who had the best therapies, the best uh, everything this world has. I've done everything I know to do. It must not then be God's plan for me because I'm doing my part. See, this is how the mind works. She could have said the same thing. She could have said that that day. She could have said, you know what? I've tried everything and, and I'm not any better. I'm only getting worse. I, I need to accept reality because it appeared to be that was just her lot in life. I've heard that said to my family members. When my little sister died in, during surgery when she was 14 years old, my family I rushed up to the hospital. I didn't realize the surgery was that serious. I worked that day. And so I rushed to the hospital when I heard what had happened. My little sister was already, already dead. 
And uh, they had a little private room there at the hospital where the family was gathered. My mom was, of course, falling apart, you know. And, and my aunt, one of my aunts said, you know, I just don't understand why God allows these things in, in Lily's life. That was my mama's name. And she said this, I'll never forget it. She said, it just seems like Lily is not supposed to have anything. That's what she said. She said it out loud. It just seems like that it's, it's not in God's plan for her to have anything in life. My dad had been killed. Now my little sister died just a, a few years later. And it, I knew better. I knew better. By this time, I'd gotten back into fellowship with the Lord. And I, and, and, and I was learning about our rights and privileges in Christ. And I knew that wasn't true, but I knew this wasn't the time for a, to have an argument. It calls a scene. But it was all I could do. But see, that's what the devil will do. He'll say, you've done everything you can do. It must not be the will of God. Well, she did everything she could do, and it didn't change, but it was the will of God. When she got into the right place at the right time, where someone was anointed of the Holy Ghost and she rose up in faith, suddenly all of the, all of the defeat and failure of 12 years didn't matter because now the will of God was done. Amen? Go with me over to uh, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Now here's another Here's another wrinkle in the devil's argument, another aspect of it. Verse 10, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. I tell you, religion is mean. Religion is mean. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, oh sweet Jesus. <laughs> Some people don't want to really have a, a, a real meeting with Jesus because he's not nearly as nice as the pictures make him out to be. And he'll call you a hypocrite today just as quick as he did then. He said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his donkey or his ox from the stall and lead it away to water? Now listen to this. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. For 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. When he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. But the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, was it the will of God for this woman to be healed? Must have been because Jesus healed her. Jesus said, 
on more than one occasion, I always do those things that please my father. He said, whatever the father does, I do. I, I, whatever I see him do, that's what I do. So whatever Jesus does in these gospels, that is a picture of the will of God. So when he healed her, we know it had to have been the will of God for her to be healed. But what about those 18 years? Now here's the thing that I want to point out. In this, in this particular, this is the argument the enemy makes. Jesus said, this woman ought to be healed. He said it back, I mean, he said it the negative earth. He said, ought not this you know, shouldn't, we would say, shouldn't this woman be healed? Notice what his reasons are. She's a daughter of Abraham. Satan has bound her and it's been, and it's been going on for 18 years. Now, we've already dealt with the 12 years, so we know God was aware of her situation for 18 years, just like he was the other woman for 12 years. God was just as compassionate at, at the very first of those 18 years as he was at the end of those 18 years. So God wanted to heal her all along. But think of this. Jesus brought out this. He said she ought to be healed not just because of the duration of her affliction and the immensity of how much she suffered, but Satan's behind this. That's important. That goes back to point one from several weeks ago. Know that God's not your adversary. The devil is your adversary. He said Satan bound this woman. It was a spirit of infirmity. In other words, it was a spiritually based thing. And he said, Satan's behind it. But the thing that, that, that really got me, he said, this woman ought to be healed because she's a daughter of Abraham. That means, now see, we don't know anything about the woman with the issue of blood. In none of the three gospels are we told anything about her. We don't know if she was a, a Jew or a Gentile. We don't, know, we don't know anything about her. This woman, however, was a daughter of Abraham. That means she had a covenant with God because God promised Abraham and his seed that he would be their physician. I am the Lord who heals you. The Bible says God brought Israel out of Egypt and there was none feeble among all their tribes. In other words, all of the different tribes of Israel, all the different houses uh, and clans of Israel, there was not one feeble person that came out that, not, that night, not one of the millions of people that God delivered that night, not one sick person, not one feeble person. And it says, and, if, and, and, and it says that he brought them out with silver and gold too. He didn't bring them out broke. Amen. That's the will of God that we have that we have silver and gold. In other words, we have all that we need to accomplish the plan of God. Amen. Then he says, and there was none feeble among all their tribes. If you, if you, if you go down a few verses in that, in that psalm, it says, why? For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. See, the, being the seed of Abraham means healing belongs to you. That's what Jesus is referring to. He said this woman ought to be delivered because she's the daughter of Abraham. Well, she had been the daughter of Abraham for 18 years. Now, here's, where the, here's what the enemy says. Well, you know, this, when Jesus said she was a, a daughter of Abraham, he's putting his stamp of approval on this woman. Now, he's not saying that she's perfect and she's never done anything wrong, but he's, he's, he's identifying the fact that she 
is in relationship with God. She's got a covenant with God. What the enemy will say is, well, when, when someone really is, a, is a, a dedicated Christian, when they really love God, they really know God, and they walk with God over time, if they don't get healed, then it must not have been the will of God. One of the most uh, uh, striking examples I remember as a, as a young man when I'd gotten back into fellowship with the Lord, there was a woman in our church and uh, she, she had cancer. This was in the, the church that I, that I came back to in my 20s. And she was a marvelous woman. Her name was May Turner. Did you, Pat, did you have May Turner as, some, as Sunday school teacher? Yep. Uh, she taught what girls' age? She taught junior high age girls for decades. She was a staple in the church. So all of the girls in the church had come through her classroom. Pat, I'm sure, I'm sure did. Angela did. She was one of the most beloved women in that church. She had such a great testimony. She was a woman of the word. She was a woman of prayer. She had a real sanctifying effect on the, on the young girls that came up through her department. She, she was a mentor. She was just... in. Uh, now, she, had a, she made an impression, an indelible impression upon a g- generations of, of young people. My older sister, several different uh, age groups. She was such a respected woman for her walk with God. And she had cancer and she was believing God. She was believing God. She was making her confessions and by his stripes I'm healed and she died. And the lie that the enemy told, and we heard it, people said it, well, if May Turner couldn't get healed, then there must be something else to the story. In other words, there must be situations when it's not the will of God to heal somebody. Because if anybody would have gotten healed, May Turner would have been healed. And I don't, and I don't, uh, deny the reputation she had. She was a wonderful woman. This woman was the daughter of Abraham. Jesus said, this woman has a covenant with God. But 18 years had gone by and she hadn't been healed. If Jesus hadn't been in that synagogue that day, she still wouldn't have healed. She would likely have gone to her grave been over. Would it have been the will of God for her to have been bent over? Oh, but she's such a godly woman. She's a, she's a, she's a, 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 a woman of, of, of impeccable uh, uh, reputation and godliness. I mean, she's a true daughter of Abraham. Doesn't matter. You can, you can be a godly person and not receive your healing that doesn't change the will of God because we know from what happened to her, it was the will of God for her to be healed. Just because healing doesn't come to someone who, is, who has a real uh, deep and, and, and close walk with God doesn't change the dynamics of the fact that it's the will of God to heal. Amen? 
Because like I said, this woman was there when Jesus was there. And she was healed. The, the fact is, you don't know what people really believe. You really don't know. And I'm not saying that, that, that you know, this, this dear woman didn't believe God. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know this. Well, that's more information than we have time for. I know this, that in the darkness of the night, at three o'clock in the morning, when you're beset with stage four cancer and you're suffering, uh, you, you, you know, you, you might not be as strong as you think you are. You might not be as strong as you want to be and are trying to be. And I, so, you know, we're not, we're not uh, casting any bad reflection on, reflection on anybody. The woman went to heaven. <laughs> I mean, glory to God. That, Paul said, to depart and be with the Lord is far better. So that's a wonderful thing. She, she had victory at the end. But the point of, what I'm making is it's the will of God to heal no matter what happens to anybody. Go with me over to, uh, here's another example. And this, this brings out another little wrinkle uh, of, of this, another little lie of the enemy. Go to John chapter 5. John 5. Well, praise the Lord. John 5, verse 1, there was there a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John 5, 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, or we would say uh, porticos or uh, lanais, or five porches, and they had to be large. This, these, this was a large pool, evidently, and a large area. For it says, in these five porches lay a great multitude of sick people. How many of you would agree that's not 10 or 12 people? A great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, if you're reading a Bible that doesn't, how many of you are reading a Bible that doesn't contain that last verse? If you're, some of the modern translations leave out because, of, because uh, where it says waiting for the moving of the water, that's, that last part of that verse and all of verse four, they say, well, that part is not in the best manuscripts. Well, the problem is if you read the rest of the story, it confirms it. Because if, even if you leave that out, then, then you, have to, you have to put it back in when you get to, the, to read the rest of it. It says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. So there was some connection with getting into the pool when the water is stirred up. So there was something stirring the water. And the only thing, it doesn't show that it was an angel. In the other verses, it doesn't show it was an angel. I don't think it was 
a duck that jumped in the water and stirred the water up. Because whatever stirred the water up, the first person that got in got healed. So it had to have been something of God, right? <laughs> and he said, before I'm coming, another steps down before me. So the first person that stepped in got healed. So now you have to put verse four back in there. The last part of verse three. So an angel went down and these people were waiting for the stirring of the water, the moving of the water. An angel went down a certain time in the pool, stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after stirring the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, why did God do that? I don't know. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The man answered and said, I have no one to put me into the water or into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, uh, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and the day was the Sabbath. Of course, the Jews got mad about it again. It's the Sabbath. Won't go into all that. But here's, here's, here's the point. This man was in a place where God was moving. Amen. This man was in a place where the supernatural was taking place. You could, you could uh, uh, equate that to being in a service where a, a powerful healing evangelist is, is there and God is stirring the water and people are being healed. And this man, we don't know, he had had the infirmity for, what to say, 38 years. We don't know how long he had been lying there, you know, at this pool, but it, Jesus perceived that it had been a long time. So we don't know how many years, maybe months, a long time. This man was in a place where the Spirit of God was moving, but he couldn't get in on it. The enemy will say, you know, you were in Oral Roberts' crusade and you didn't get healed. A lot of other, 200 people got healed, but you didn't get healed. You were in Catherine Kuhlman's meeting and 500 people got healed, but you didn't get healed. You were in Brother Hagen's meeting and, and a lot of people got healed. You didn't get healed. You went to Rama, and a lot of people got healed and you didn't get healed. See what I'm saying? You've been around the move of God. God was moving all around you supernaturally and for some reason he passed you by. Might want to just suspect it might not be God's plan for you. No. This man missed out on the move of God over and over and over again and it was still the will of God to heal him. Don't let this is, I brought all of these, these, these examples up to illustrate how the devil will try to talk to you and reason with you and, and get you to allow doubt to come from your head down into your heart. Because if you start thinking about these things and thinking, well, you know, uh, I'm doing all I can. I've been to the best doctors. I'm living right. I'm, I'm trying my best to, to obey God in my life. I'm living a holy life. I mean, you know, to the best of my uh, uh, ability, I, I, I confess my sins when I miss it and I don't, I don't have a rebellious heart for God and I've been in service where God's moving and people are getting healed and still I sit here. The enemy's gonna try to get you to, to look at this, look at your situation and say, well, you know, I maybe... Maybe, I'm, maybe there's just some secret plan God has. No. God's plan is not secret. God's plan is that 
with his stripes we were healed. Amen. So, uh, well, praise God. Cast down every thought. You have to cast down every thought. Every thought that, that raises itself up, that comes into your consciousness, that denies the truth of God's word, you have to cast it down. You have to deny it. Abraham, it says, Abraham refused to consider his own body. I mean, he had, he had the, the facts of his physical condition in front of him every single day. He's 90 years old. He's 91 years old. He's 90, you notice he's not getting any younger. He's 93 years old. He's 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, and 99. And nothing has changed. You think he had opportunity to consider the circumstances? You don't think his natural mind said, you, this is never gonna happen. You're never having this child God's told you about. Besides that, he didn't consider his wife's condition either, nor Sarah's barren womb. Do you think the devil didn't say, take a glance at Gertrude? <laughs> she didn't look very promising either. <laughs> he said he the Bible says he did not consider his body nor Sarah's flesh. He wouldn't consider it. If you're going to come out of this trouble, you have to refuse to consider every and any circumstance that's contrary to what God said about you. Amen. You refuse to consider it. Refuse to consider it. Refuse to consider it. Oh, it might be true, all right. I just don't consider it. See? It might, I know it's true. I know what the CAT scan said. That's a fact. I'm just not considering it. I'm not denying that it's a fact. I'm just not considering it. I'm not considering it when I consider God. When I consider the promise of God, you know what? I'm just not going to consider it. What, what does consider mean? It means to bring it into the calculation, bring it into the determination, bring it into your, to your rationalization, to your understanding. Nope, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to consider that. What do you consider? Consider him. The Bible says, Hebrews says, consider him. Consider Jesus. Consider the word. Consider the truth. Consider the promise. Consider what God's done in Christ. Well, praise the Lord. That'll work for you. That'll work for you. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let's stand up and just thank God for the truth. I tell you, the truth is the truth. And anything that contradicts the truth is a lie. Anything that contradicts the truth is not true. Amen. It might be a fact, but it can still be a lie. It can be a fact, but it can still not be true. Truth is greater than fact. How many of you ever heard facts change? Well, the facts have changed, but you never hear anybody say, well, the truth has changed. 
No, because the truth never changes. God's word is true. Jesus said your word is truth. Not just true, truth. Your word is truth. And the truth never changes. Facts come and go. Facts change. And if it's not according to the truth, I'm just not going to consider it. Amen. Hallelujah. Whatever you're standing against, make sure you're considering the right things. And don't let anything else enter your heart. Now, like I said, thoughts will come against your mind. Rationalization, you know, will, will come against your mind. Just laugh at them. That's what I do. I, I do that fairly frequently in my walk with God. I mean, just really, just, you know, all the time, really. Thoughts come into my mind, and I just, I just laugh out loud. I'm usually, you know, by myself when I do it. But I just laugh out loud. I say, <laughs> I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that thought. I'm not taking that thought. That's ridiculous. Now, it doesn't seem ridiculous. It seems to make a lot of sense. But I'm considering what the Bible says. So that thought, no matter how, how, how uh, uh, reasonable it might seem where the facts are concerned, here's what the truth says. Don't consider the, don't consider the wrong things. Only consider the truth. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness and blessing and your mercy in our lives. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The entrance of your word gives light. Father, we know that we can put your word on the inside of us. We can put your, your word on the inside of us and that word can become so real and so dominant that it, that it silences every other thought. That it takes every other thought captive and casts it out. Father, I pray, Lord, that the word will, will become that sure, will become that dominant in the heart's of your people today, Father. That they'll come to the place, if they're not there now, they'll, they'll have a desire and, and a determination to get to that place. Like I said, if they're not there, that they'll have a determination to get there, to get to that place where the Word dominates what they believe. And it rises up and casts down every imagination, every thought, takes it captive. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's the way to live, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you for At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.